0: welcome to One uncorked the podcast brought to you by team corker i'm still steph and with me today is fab dolan hailing out of toronto fab and i had the sweet pleasure of going to high school together high school that was a long time ago But I have been following Fab and his very exciting career um, specifically because, as you will hear on Uncorked, I like to feature rad humans and their stories of things that you can't find on Google. And funny enough, Fab just happens to work at the Google. Welcome, Fab.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. I I'm actually thrilled that we're doing this cuz I got to learn that that's a corker is not just a thing that you and your brother made up and I <laughs> for, for years online that you guys have used it. I thought it was like a perfect catchphrase that you guys had made up.
0: I think in full uh giving credit where credit is due, that's a corker has been 100% a Matt Corkerism for I mean, since we were in high school, I'm sure. Yeah, But yeah. a corker is, in fact, a remarkable or astonishing person or thing. You might be one of them.
1: Well, let, let's hope. We'll find out in the next 19 minutes or so. <laughs> or <something.
0: laughs> okay. Um, like I said, Google, there's so much to you that's so interesting. And I would love to dive into some Google. And I would love to dive into life of Fab Dolan outside of Google. And why I think that's fascinating is we all know Google's rigorous hiring process for hiring truly remarkable people and while riffing with you before jumping on this recording I was like I want to know about all of your life outside of life at Google but first let's talk about Google and the one piece why don't you share with us what you do at Google Um, yeah let's start there what's your day what are you up to um
1: so I head up marketing in Canada um which means actually kind of many different things so we have a team of about 30 of us uh, working out of Toronto And we do everything from kind of enterprise marketing uh, on the business to business side, trying to get people to spend more ad dollars with Google on YouTube and and search and and so on, uh, right down to small businesses who might be using it for the first time and spending $100 to kind of set up their web presence through to the other side, which most people might be more familiar with, which is what we do for kind of user audiences. So trying to get people to buy our phones, use Google Home, watch more YouTube, uh, use Google Pay and kind of all those things. So we spend an awful lot of time kind of across many different industries, different types of marketing disciplines kind of all wrapped up in that. So day to day is kind of anything from Hey, run a 15,000 person concert for YouTube to do some sophisticated digital marketing for some app that we want people to, to use a little bit more.
0: And you've been at Google for six years?
1: Yeah, uh, just about, I think. Yeah, I was so yeah, Google for six years, uh, past life was at General Mills in, in more kind of traditional consumer packaged goods marketing.
0: Right. But all in the digital space, which I think is really interesting because digital marketing has obviously changed. It's transformed businesses. It's, it's transformed our lives as consumers. Um, first, though, on the Google side, what's kept you at Google for six years?
1: Well, I think if you think about some of the things that I've just mentioned, uh, the, the biggest thing is change. There's no other company operating at that scale that grows that quickly and changes that quickly. It sort of defies economic gravity in, in, in kind of a way and and so it means that for the people who get to be involved and in part of it we're always learning like most yes. of the, the things that I work on today are products or entire categories that didn't exist at uh, twelve months ago 24 months ago Gosh. whatever the time frame is uh, and that is you know that's that's a really interesting learning experience and then there's the other side to it which is I think it also is a fairly rem- remarkable company where if you look at our founders and you look at the types of things that they do uh, and the, the, the things that they talk about, I think they truly would rather be like the Thomas Edison's of their time than just like the next um, Bill Gates and, and make a bunch of money. And so, I mean, they've made a, a bunch of money along the way. Um, but I but I truly think that the company has kind of like great values in, in that perspective uh, and and is, is in it for kind of, um, innovation and try to, uh, f- trying to further human progress. And I know that sounds kind of like, that's a really like, um, um, you know, either cliched or sort of like, uh, you know, it, it's true. Like, it, like yeah. uh, probably I've, I've probably had all the Kool-Aid, but I, but yeah. I believe it. Yeah.
0: I'd like, you know, it could sound audacious and the Kool-Aid could be running through your veins, but it also sounds pretty legit.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, it, like it's a group of founders that like started a search engine and then now are, you know, have other companies that are trying to cure aging and trying to create yeah. some, you know, self-driving flying cars. And yeah. like, they, uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, kind of window into those types of, of people.
0: Yeah. I want to dive into the world that is the future. Um, but before that, Coming back to the world that is digital marketing, one thing that I was very curious to get your perspective on perspective on was the this this idea of generations and how are you marketing to different generations and do you take that into account and what are your personal thoughts on it really?
1: Yeah, uh, so for me, I try to take generations um, and kind of demographics more um, uh, kind of uh, generally. Uh, out of the equation as much as possible. Because if you think about like, I think it's always easier to think about this as an individual. So you um, are part of a specific uh, demographic, let's say that if they were doing a census, you would fit between this age group and that age group and you would uh, live in a certain area and then uh, you'd have a certain gender marked on that census and so on. And you can probably um, within your own circles, even think about many different people that on that census would actually look an awful lot the same but you recognize that you know one of you is you know is more of kind of an urban traveler and you know loves animals and is into asian cuisine and uh, and is buying a new house right now and the other person is you know a mother or father of 3 and is really big into sports and you know adventure and and you can start already seeing the problems with using anything like generations or demographics and so what i think Digital has really given us an an ability to not only take that demographic data, but add to it um, intent, which is effectively someone raising their hand on something like Google search and saying, hey, I'm really interested in this product category. Can you tell me more about it? Can you give me reviews? Can you show me videos? Where can I buy? Like all of that good stuff. Uh, In addition to... Um, what we would think of like as contextual information that you can you can use, so there 's a very big difference between searching for uh, food on a desktop device from your computer at work at, you know, the middle of the day versus someone searching for food at three in the morning on their mobile device going down, you know, (laughs) like a a street with a lot of bars on it, right? You can immediately get into the psyche of what that individual might want. And that's a totally different economic opportunity and a different uh, marketing Uh, opportunity in terms of the kinds of products and services that should really be there. So for for my money, the more we can move away from just thinking about marketing as sort of thinking about demographics and more that it's about intent and context plus that audience info, the better off uh, we'll all be.
0: Interesting. Okay. So taking that and then thinking about the world that is the future, um, how do you think, let's say marketers, and then I'm curious about perhaps the world beyond just marketing, um, how can we be best set up for this, dare I say, intentional future-based living?
1: Yeah, I think, um, so uh, RBC actually did a really interesting study. So, and I'm sure you have listeners all uh, all over, but um, they did a study just in the Canadian population and economy. And we're looking at The next four years and the the two and a half million jobs that would be created, what are the types of jobs that would be created in our economy? Uh, What are the skills that are inherent in in all of those? And I think they saw what we've been trying to say for a long time now, which is that digital skills are fairly foundational at this point, that every single job, um, whether you're working on uh, the family farm or you're working in kind of retail or service industry or whatever it might be. Um, you need to kind of interface with technology in some way, shape, or form. And that the value that we add as individual employees is going to come down to how well do you use data? How well do you um, kind of draw insights from that data um, and put that into action? Because, you know, we're seeing um, so many great things happen in so many different fields. um, And there's a real kind of democratization of technology that would, in the past really only be accessible to the biggest companies. So the companies that are spending billions of dollars on um, big servers to be able to kind of store a lot of data and uh, top paid engineers to write software programs to be able to utilize that. Well, all of that is starting to um, reach an economy of scale and in, uh, and and so doing becoming sort of a platform technology where small businesses are able to use it. And I'll give you an example. So we um, were, uh, profiling earlier this year, um, this farmer uh, that was using artificial uh, artificial intelligence technology, machine learning technology, and they were cucumber farmers. Um, and they were using the software to take images of cucumbers as they went down the line, you know, after they'd been picked to identify which ones were, I don't know much about cucumber farming, but basically which ones are the right shape, which ones might be um, rotten, not good for um, actually um, going through to being sold and all that kind of stuff. And that was being done uh, automated. So the, you know, the front end work by the human was identifying what makes a great cucumber, what is the ideal for us as a business to sell and sort of working with that but a lot of the kind of the the actual um kind of uh, what could be automated was being automated through through that and it's just a fascinating use of of ai that if you went back even just a couple years ago you would have to be an amazon or an apple or a google to
0: be able to to do any of that kind of stuff totally that's so interesting Um, for our listeners um fab mentions rbc and rbc is the royal bank of canada and we'll include the link below uh, I, I think it's fascinating, the the merge of what is digital and what is data and insight, um, or how do you interpret the data and the insights, I should say, um, feel like they're actually one now, and you don't get to just be, you know, just have a digital mindset, and you don't get to only be analytical, there has to be a blend, or it doesn't really matter, but then it's all wrapped up in like, I really hope you have a human heart and a whole lot of spirit to, to keep
1: it well, human. Yeah, it's actually interesting that you say that, because I think in in marketing, we've seen this for years now, is that we're awash in data. Um, We don't lack for it. And what we don't have as much is insight. um, and, And it's... And it all comes down to, I think, you know, when I think about the kind of the best people uh, that I work with and the ones that I learn the most from and the ones that are really truly doing well in their field, they tend to be the ones that take that data and they don't explain what happened because the data explains what happened. They explain why it happened. Uh, And so it's all about taking that and figuring out what are the... Uh, what are the metrics that truly matter? Which ones are the ones that drive the business? What are the right questions to ask? And, and this is the thing that I've been obsessing about with my team lately is just it's all about goal setting um, and measurement in kind of relationship to that, because it takes as much time and effort uh, and blood, sweat and tears to work on the wrong thing as it does to work on the right thing. And so that's why kind of that strategic uh, sense uh, and that critical thinking is so important now.
0: Hot diggity. Let's go there. I want to riff on goals. (laughs) Goals of Fab Dolan. How do we get biceps like yours? Oh, (laughs) I'm just joking. Well, you can tell us. Um, But I want to know the top three things you're obsessing about right now in work or not work. And because I think obsession is what starts our desire to set a goal.
1: Yeah, um, I don't. So this might be a little bit meta, but I've been thinking a lot. uh, One of my goals is around kind of understanding goals. Um, And so we could go deeper into this, but, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately uh, and it's one of the things that I've, I think I've tried to steal as much as possible from um, some of the folks I work with, uh, especially in the, in the U S is I think goal setting is on its own is not a good thing and and it's somewhat bs i think it's all about goal process Um, i spent a lot of my uh, kind of developmental years and early career trying to set goals or having some vision of what i want to be when i'm when i grow up or whatever it is and i'd have these notions around okay great i want to be a cmo someday but that it sort of lived in the land of hopes and dreams and and goal process I think is so much richer because uh, it's all about taking a goal like that, that might be 5, 10, 20 years down the road, and boiling it down to what are the things that I actually need to do today, tomorrow, next week, next month, in order to make that a reality? Uh, And what are the daily habits? Uh, So we do a couple exercises, and I know we only have 20 minutes, so I'll just try to fire through a couple things that I think Uh, you know, we've been using a lot with with my team. So the first is this exercise around kind of rather than have one kind of end goal in mind, have five. So from a career perspective, that might mean what are five jobs that you could see yourself being happy in in five years, let's say, and you're able to take those five and they should be very different. So I might be I might want to be a university professor, I might want to still be in this job, but more senior, I might want to go start my own uh, startup, whatever it is. The beauty of a process like that is that one, it allows you actually find commonalities between them and understand that, oh, I don't actually just want to be a CMO, I just love teaching and I love working in groups and I love you know, marketing or whatever it is. Um, but the uh, really beneficial part and the way that it turns into goal setting or sorry, goal process is that you then have to take those five paths and say, okay, well, what can I do today, tomorrow, next week? And because I can't become a, the CMO of Google next week um but i sure can book a meeting with our cmo to talk about her uh lessons from her career and try to figure out you know what i can emulate and where i uh, could learn and so on i could um sign up for some course that's going to upgrade my skills somewhere and so again like the action is just sign up for the course that's all you need to do and you get the snowball kind of rolling down the hill a little bit and the 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 magic is that like because i think for a lot of people uh where they struggle is that they think it's just all about them and it's either they're good or they're not. And the reality is that, you know, at least 50%, if not more, of the equation is the world. And so what you'll find is that when you do that kind of a process, that the world will give you back information. And so you might think, oh, I wanted to be a university professor and then this actually happened to me. And I met with <laughs> them and they all told me, oh, well, we don't want to, like, we love your experience, but, you know, our digital program isn't, you know, uh, being developed um, as fast as, as you wanted to, or you need a PhD, or any one of about five or six different reasons that kind of felt like, wow, I'm really running into a dead end here. Um, but then two of my other paths that I picked really took off. And it was, you got reactions like, wow, it's really funny that you reached out for coffee now, because we just had an opening, uh, open up, and we'd love to consider you for it, even though you're saying that you want to do it in two years, would you want to do it now? And and so I think that's the, the beauty of it. And, and the last piece that I try to do is and I one of the things I'm obsessed with in on kind of a micro sense. I have this uh, app that I use called uh, Way of Life. It's a it's a free app, I think on both um, app stores. Uh, and all it is is just sort of like it's a really simple app for you to put in uh, daily habits, and then you check off whether you've done them. And so I've taken a bunch of my uh, kind of longer term goals and try to turn them into habits, things that I need to do every day, um, whether that's, you know, reading for 30 minutes about uh, the industry. Um, Actually, most of my goals tend to be health related. That's the other thing that I'm obsessed with right now. So we can talk about that in a second. But the, so you take whatever those things are, and then you're able to keep track on a daily basis and then aggregate that weekly, monthly, et cetera, to make sure that you're actually doing it. Because I I like, I don't truly know if I want to be a CMO, but um, I know that I like the idea of it, but the journey of it will be so much more rewarding when I'm doing these things. And I probably will end up being something else and it will be just as good. Um, but I'm also much more likely to be CMO if I'm actually working on it every single day, right?
0: Totally. So... I love process and I love the idea of having process goals or having, you know, a journey that's, um, identified, if you will. I'm curious about time frame. So typically goals are by this date, I'll be a CMO. So with your process goals, if they aren't all, all every day, I will do this. Do you have different timeframes to process goals or where does so, time come in? So
1: I do. Um, I've tried to be a little. I've I've noticed that here's the thing: every time I've ever set a goal, I've noticed that I was wildly inaccurate about the time frame, like Mm. in both directions. I have goals that I look back and like, wow, I thought that was a one-year goal, and I did it in like two months by just doing it. And then others are like, I thought I could do that in six months, and then it really it took me two years, but I finally did it.
0: Right.
1: Right. So timing, I'm always wrong about timing, and so. Uh, but what I've tried to do, and this is going to say, I was trying to explain this to an audience earlier this morning, and um, I hope it doesn't sound onerous or too crazy, but I've tried to actually adapt Google's, um, there's a process that we use for goal setting for the business called OKRs, Objectives, Key Results. And this is, it's an amazing uh, tool. It's been used by so many different um, companies. There's a, a man by the name of John Dewar, D-O-E-R, who's written a book, Uh, but recently he was the one who taught it to our founders in kind of their earliest days. Uh, And so we use it pretty religiously to plan um, kind of our internal process. I've tried to adapt uh, that and as well as another thing called the impact matrix, which we may not have time for um, to my own goal setting process. So, which means that I will start the year with some overarching um, kind of objectives, but I try to root those in, um, kind of three different areas that I feel like will give my life meaning. So like oh. one area related to health, like the, my mission or kind of vision for that area for me is, uh, or the ethos is I want to die young at a very old age. Hmm. And so um, so there's a lot of different elements to personal health within that. And so what I might do then is I'll set an annual uh, kind of objective and then I'll likely have quarterly initiatives. And so that annual objective might have a number attached to it, um, That is, but but usually, uh, and this is where like measurement kind of comes in the ties into my digital um, kind of background is that annual objective might not be something that you can readily measure on a day-to-day basis, but it is something that's like very um, kind of important. And then you might have initiatives each quarter that then Um, kind of ladder up to that and they each would have their own metrics that would be, um, you know, whether or not that you've kind of done those uh, or or not. Right. So um, I'm probably not explaining that correctly, but so OKR. So like so you can Google that or Bing that. um, And then that process is the one that I use for my kind of personal things. And that forces you into the real time frame for that tends to be kind of quarterly. So every three months uh, is a good uh, interval. And where the habits come in is you know, if I have a goal of like, let's just use like a simple one that a lot of people might have, like losing a certain amount of weight, let's say you might have that goal for, okay, three months from now, I want to have, you know, hit this weight on the scale and this body fat percentage. And where the habits come in, are the the things that are that uh, lead up to that where it's like, okay, I want to, Um, maybe not do a hard workout every day every day, but my habit is I want to move every day for at least Mm. you know, forty five minutes. So that would be the habit that you know will build towards that long term goal.
0: Did you know that losing weight is actually the number one goal that people set on January first? Oh, really? The number two goal is to save money.
1: Yeah. And they might uh,
0: interchange, but it's, (laughs) it's either I want to lose weight and I want to save or make this amount, this amount of money. Um, But speaking of vitality, and I know this might be a little bit longer than 20 minutes, but you're too juicy for us to hang up on. I need to know, and, and our friends and listeners need to hear about um, your vitality goals and tell me about how you live in accordance to being alive or being dead.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, um, with that lead in, yeah, I was telling you this before uh, we jumped on. Uh, this is still something that I'm trying to actually bake in in, uh, in kind of many different ways. So one of them is figuring out all the ways that I kind of measure uh, vitality. But, you know, so where it comes from for me is that I really feel like I wasted a, a good chunk of my kind of early years, uh, especially in my 20s. Um, and it was Wait, only. Wait, pause.
0: I, I, yeah. I, interrupting is really horrible on podcasts, but <laughs> it needs to be noted that your version of wasting your early twenties—I think you were the the most active human at university. At, I mean, everything post university fab was pretty ridiculous. So yeah, but, he, but here's the thing.
1: I, but here's the thing. So like, I, I think I I didn't waste it in terms of. I think I had a lot of achievements. I didn't draw a lot of happiness from it. And that was the, that was the thing that I kind of realized in my thirties is that, and that's why I feel like it was wasted. Um, and, and it wasn't, um, so I didn't, that's a really
0: beautiful distinction. And what I also love is that everything that you did in your twenties looks so sexy on LinkedIn and it's so cool in the eyes of, you know, a resume. And then we hear the truth that the head of marketing for Google Canada didn't find happiness in his 20s. <laughs> super, super sad.
1: Well, no. look, <laughs> here's how I think about that. So uh, um, because, well, the part of so that was the genesis of it for me was that I was figuring, yeah. unpacking like, wow, I'm achieving all these things, but I'm not necessarily getting a lot of fulfillment out of those, yeah. or it was as binary, like, I was, uh, my own kind of happiness in life was uh, like came out of like, did I get that promotion or did I not yeah. get that promotion? And yeah. if you don't, which you often don't, yeah. then that's a really bad spiral to go. So yeah. what I've been thinking about lately is is really focusing on the things that actually give my life meaning. Um, and, uh, and 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 what I've been working on is kind of thinking about this concept and, and that's when it links back to the habits that I try to set is what are the things that are going to give my life vitality or like feel alive? And what are the things that don't? And so, um, and so the way that I think about it is a ratio of a lifetime versus dead time. So a lifetime is kind of the time during an individual day or over the course of a week or a month that I'm spending where I'm actually learning and growing where I'm teaching, where I'm connecting with loved ones, with uh, friends, um, where I'm moving, I uh, forget which order I did all those things, but basically, all the things that give your life like real, true enjoyment, and they tend to actually correlate with things that are you have to be very present in order to mm-hmm. be doing those. It's very hard to do any of those things in a real way and not be fully engaged. Um, and so, so it's the ratio of how much of my time is going through that. Oh, recovery is an important one. Actually, sleep, good sleep counts. So it's all of that stuff versus the time that. I can't even remember, remember um, because it doesn't register in your memory after you've done it. Because it's the dead time that you spend watching TV, or um, you know, the the walk to work that was so, somewhat mindless, or that you were fretting about things as opposed to like either solve the problem or you know, figure out a way to like uh, you know connect with someone about that and get them to help you, whatever it is. Anyway, so all that kind of stuff. So I've been focusing a lot on trying to optimize that ratio, knowing that I don't want to be like never push myself to the point where I feel like I need to be hundred percent alive at all times. Um, because again, recovery counts like Netflix can either be dead time or a live time, depending on the way you do it. Like if, totally. I'm, if I'm sitting with a friend watching a, a movie that we both love and it's a, you know, a time that's going to be special, that's great. If it's the sixth night in a row that all I've done is watch Netflix for two hours a night, then that's pretty clearly dead time for me. And so yeah. Uh, it's been so that's been kind of the thing that I've been obsessed with uh, with recently, and I'm trying to figure out a way to distill that in a way, in kind of frameworks and things like that that are both helpful to me to measure that, mm-hmm. uh, and then hopefully for for others as well.
0: Yeah, it's so remarkable. I I was thinking as you were speaking, I'm like, when will he talk about recovery, and when will he talk about sleep, because I think. Part of being not an overachiever, just a superachiever is that you do look at every area of your life on you know in a quadrant and say, "How is this maximizing my happiness and my life and all of these things. You told me that if I stop doing Iron Man, I will die, and I, I think that <laughs> I will frame that quote i don 't think I will yeah. die, but it 's true when we stop living, we die yeah and, um, I just I have one more question for you fab and and that is like, what happens when you're not hitting your process goals? And what happens when you, I mean, you have an app for it and you have the quadrant and you have your long-term goals and you have five outcomes. Like, do you understand that this could not be more Toronto of you? Like this yeah. West Coast gal is like, I'm going to set a goal. And in Toronto, it's like, I will set five goals.
1: <laughs> so here's so. But tell me, is, tell
0: me about what happens yeah. along the way when, When you fall off the wagon, and I mean, you mentioned that you were traveling a ton. I find personally that travel really throws a monkey wrench in in my daily habits and certainly in my nutrition. You know, you're on the road, I can't wait for someone to innovate healthy food on a plane. Um that's a whole other podcast. (laughs) Hey, never. never.
1: Let me let me take a stab with that, because I think the and this is what's important is that we talked a lot about goal setting. I would say that. 80% 80% of my goals are related to uh, being fulfilled uh, from a, a health perspective. Mm. So it's all about um, getting enough sleep and, and being ready to tackle a day moving so that, you know, I both like love that the body that I'm in, but also feel like, um, you know, I'm uh, I'm capable of, of, of doing uh, great things and, and just enjoying life. Um, everybody you know, so I've started um, uh, kind of a thing on my team where we all have one simple thing that we're trying to uh, achieve in terms of kind of our own uh, health and, like, the way that we kind of make it memorable is that we've turned it into, like, our passwords. You don't share it with anybody, but, like, if you want to move, uh, you know, for a certain amount every day, like, your password is, like, some um, kind of, like, uh, numbers and letters that sort of, like, spell out, like, go for a walk or whatever. So I am... Wait, will sh-
0: you share your simple thing?
1: So mine is actually, I fast every Friday. So because really? um, fasting uh, gives my digestive system a break. Um, it um, both helps me in terms of like temperance and, and helping build kind of willpower in other areas of my life. There's a lot of really great research on on kind of how fasting is good for you. And like extended fast, we do another podcast on this, like um, are really great for things like uh, autophagy, which is cellular uh, repair yes. and regeneration. So um, so for me, it's like, it's, it's fasting every Friday for 24 hours. Uh, oh, and wow.
0: so <laughs> how long have you been doing this?
1: Uh, I've been doing this for about six months. The longest fast I've done is four days and that's like nothing. Like the, the world record for a fast is like 360 days or something crazy Stop like it. that.
0: Stop it. Wait, so, we have to riff here. This is a tangent. <laughs> how do you feel fasting every Friday?
1: I feel so much better. So you're actually talking to me right now on a fast day. So, um, so what if I sound kind to? of with it, then, uh, then hopefully that's a good sign. But so I've only had water all day. Um, that's it since Thursday. So I usually go like Thursday night dinner to Friday night dinner.
0: Um, Will you so, eat dinner tonight?
1: Yeah, because I'll wait until I've done 24 hours. And that's it.
0: Okay. Um,
1: and so and and back to the kind of your important question is so I have like, because I think the danger is like a lot of these things, especially with goals is like, and I got like this as well, where it's like, um, where if I didn't hit a goal, and I it would start this really negative uh, mental pattern where I was like, "See, you are a failure, and you are yeah. the one imposter at Google who secretly snuck in the back door." And blah blah blah. <laughs> um, and so, on kind of all of these things, whenever I goal set, whenever I have like like r- little rules for myself, the main thing is that usually it ends with like some type of like, "Well, and if you break these, you get back on the horse the next day and you try to do it, and that's okay." So, so I've done the fasting thing for about six months, I'd say a good third of the time, maybe I make it 18 hours. And then I don't know, friends are going out for dinner and I want to eat earlier, or I just get into a busy day and I have something and you just sort of like move on. And I think that is actually a bigger yeah. difference between um, kind of my twenties and, and my thirties and thinking about goal setting was like, that would have been a really bad thing in my twenties if I didn't hit yeah. a because then I would I'd start drifting into that, that mental pattern. That's no good.
0: Yeah. I think our ability to experience the euphoria of a high is a beautiful thing and our ability to experience the freaking heartache of a low is a beautiful thing and the faster we can recover from both of those and just come back to the center and say like neither actually matters the high is never so high the low isn't so low and if it's 18 hours carry on let's go for happy hour you know
1: yeah exactly
0: just make sure happy hour is healthy because your system's like pretty raw and ready for something good.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it would be like bone broth and, and broccoli, basically. Yeah.
0: Got it. Okay. Well, I feel like we could do a whole other podcast on what Fab eats and how Fab structures his day. Um, and we might actually have to, because that's very fascinating. <laughs> and I, well, we have to end on our final question. And our final question is, what is making your heart beat faster?
1: So you... Gave me a heads up that you were going to ask this question and I've been assessing it in the back. Like I need a great answer for this. Um,
0: and the truth and is you don't, you just, and I don't question. have
1: a great answer, but here's the yes, two things that, that have come to mind. So the first is a very literal one. I take on that is that I've been uh, trying to uh, get into uh, calisthenics uh, this year. So it's all body weight training. Um, and, and in a little sense, like it is, completely transformed injuries that I've, I've had in the past and gives me so much more of a connection with my body than like normal kind of weight training does. Cool. Uh, and so I recommend that for uh, kind of uh, everybody. And then I think the other thing is um, so I've been in, in this particular role for about three years now and I've been kind of, I had the, the, the privilege and, and the luck of, of coming into that role being kind of the first person there and then building out a team. Uh, and so I think the biggest thing that gives me joy these days is seeing just how much that team has learned and how much they've grown. And in particular moments, like last week, I remember telling a friend, I was like, yeah, I was in a room and it was pretty clear that I was absolutely not necessary in one, like one shape or form. And uh, because they totally got it. They're they're really like in this like flow state. Um, And, you know, I hope I can still help uh, kind of get to the next level. But that was a really big, Point of pride uh, for for me, and I'm just so happy with kind of what they're doing, uh, and uh, and so I think that's the other thing that gives me joy is actually seeing kind of these other people kind of around me grow and uh, and do cool things.
0: That's so rad. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I I love these. I love recording them. I love recording them with people that I know and love, or that perhaps I haven't even ever met. Um, but the idea that I'm going to learn something that I won't find out about you on Instagram or I won't find out about you on Google. And thanks for sharing inside your head and what goes on when you fail inside your heart. It's all really, really fascinating and it makes what you're doing at Google not any less interesting, it just keeps it superhuman that you as a human might beat digital marketing AdWords. (laughs) at google (laughs) uh fab dolman i appreciate your guts i hope you have a wonderful meal on the other end of your fast and i hope that we have you back on Uncorked soon
1: thank you thanks so much for having me